Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here joining with us here today as we continue our series, Gospel Incomplete, really just exploring what is the gospel and why does it matter for your life, my life, and the life of the community around us. And last week, what we really explored was a really thick description of the world we actually live in and why we actually need to be freed from it. So I shared with you last week how really our world is run by three things, how it's run by scarcity, that you don't have enough, how it's run by speed, that you aren't doing enough, and that lastly, it's really run by self-improvement or self-optimization, that you certainly aren't good enough. But then what we explored last week is really, is really that you don't have to live according to those rulers. You don't have to live according to those powers. You can actually live under a different rhythm, a different regime, a different kingdom. You can live under King Jesus. And that that's really the heart of the gospel, that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Lord. The problem is, as I shared with you last week, is that many Christians, especially in the contemporary church, their grasp on the gospel and what it actually means is quite incomplete. So if you want to know what the gospel is, it is that Jesus is king. And then here's the expanded version that I shared with you last week as well. That Jesus is the king who preexisted with the father, who took on human flesh, fulfilling God's promises to David, died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, was buried, was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, appeared to many and is seated at the right hand of God as Lord and will come again as judge. And like I shared last week, today I want to follow up with those first two uh, things in that kind of expanded gospel statement that I want to explore here today, that Jesus preexisted with the Father and took on human flesh. Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus died for our sins according to Scripture. Today, what I really want to talk about to make it like simple and clear is I want to talk about how Jesus is both a divine king and a human king and how we need him to be both. Okay? I want to talk about how Jesus is both a divine king and a human king and how we need him to be both. And to do that, I first want to explore and explain to you how we have made the gospel incomplete and then share with you how we need a fuller version of the gospel that really centers Christ as king, who is both our human and our divine king. So in terms of the incomplete gospel, I would like to suggest to you that if you were to go to, let's say, America, as the supposedly like most Christian nation in the world, and you were to ask people there, the majority of people who all say they believe in God and that sort of thing, and you were to ask people there what the gospel is, or if I were to ask you, perhaps before the series, what the gospel is, here is how the majority of people would likely respond. That they would say that what the gospel is, is that Jesus died for our sins. That's how they would define the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins. Or if I were to ask them to explain a little bit further, here is likely the shape of the gospel that they would share. That we are sinners, Jesus died for our sins, and if we accept him, we can go to heaven with him. This is really the shape of the gospel in Western evangelicalism. It's really this idea that Jesus died for our sins, we're sinners, and if we accept him, we get to go to heaven. But what I would like to suggest to you is that this version of the gospel, this shaping or form of the gospel, is not only shallow and incomplete, it actually leads to shallow and incomplete following of Christ. I want to say that again. That this version of the gospel that I just shared with you is not only shallow and incomplete, it actually leads to shallow and incomplete following of Christ. Because notice with me, that really popular or very common version of the gospel, right? That we're sinners, Jesus died for our sins, and that we get to go to heaven if we believe in him. Notice with me, that very common phrase or way of talking about the gospel, it was really centered on two things. It's centered on transaction and self-centeredness, okay? It's centered on transaction and self-centeredness. That first, this idea that the gospel is that we are sinners, Jesus died for our sins, and we get to go to heaven. Notice with me. In that telling of the story, what does that story center? It centers us, doesn't it? We sinned, and Jesus died for our sins, and we get to go to heaven. 
the center of that story is really, really self-centered. That when we share the gospel in that format, that we're sinners, Jesus died for our sins, and that we get to go to heaven, what we do is we place ourselves at the center of the story, not Christ as king. And we talk about what he did, but not even what he is doing. And this is a really problem. This leads to shallow and false following of God. Notice with me, also in that very common telling of the gospel, what it does is it turns faith almost into a transaction, right? It makes almost heaven a commodity that you buy with a prayer. Or it seems like a too good to be true, like sales pitch. If you just do this thing, you get all this great stuff. That essentially what I would like to suggest to you is that when it comes to understanding the gospel in the Western evangelical world, what has happened in the Western evangelical world, along with everything else, is that the gospel has gotten tainted and distorted by consumerism and self-interest. That's why I think what has happened, that the gospel has gotten tainted and distorted by consumerism and self-interest. And this has then led to people who might profess belief in Christ, but then look nothing like him in their daily lives. This is a really problem. So I want to invite you to actually today explore a different version of the gospel, one that isn't based on consumerism, but one that is based on scripture, and one that doesn't center us, but one that centers Christ as the divine and human king. And I want to share with you this more kind of expanded version of the gospel. And I want to do that by beginning in Genesis 1. Because I think there's always a problem. If we're going to share the story of scripture and where scripture is going and what God is up to in this world, we need to start at the beginning. So turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, what you'll read of is God creating the world, right? And I want to start here in verse 24 today. And this is really on day five when God's creating the uh, animals and he's also going to be creating humanity as well, okay? So I want to read to you the passage. And from this, we're going to get the kind of the base, the foundation for understanding what it is that Jesus is going to be up to within our lives and in the world. Okay, we read this. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the refrain that happens every time God creates. The text says that then God saw that it was good, that it was good, that it was good. Then God said this, let us then make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very, very, very good. And from this short little beginning in Genesis 1, we can really pull out three foundational things that can help us to really understand, understand the gospel deeper and better. The first thing that we can see from this text is really that when God creates something, it is good, right? That the world around us is good. Creation is good. Physicality, embodied beings, all of this is good. That's very, very clear from the text. And when God created this world, he created it good. The second thing that we see is that he also created humanity as good. And the really, to put it differently, that each person, each person is made in the very image of God, which means each person has value, worth, and meaning. Listen to how the text uh, puts it. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this means something really important that we often miss. What this phrase, being made in the image of God, really means is that we then are called to reflect God here on earth, that we are to resemble him, that we are to be his representatives, that when it says that we are made as his image, we are then to be his image bearers here in this good world that he has created for us. This is the story that Genesis 1 is telling, that we are called to reflect, resemble, 
and really be God's representatives here on earth. And then not only that, not only that, not only is the world good and we're called to be his representatives, we actually have a purpose here together that God's really clear in this text, that we are actually called to co-create with him. We are called to move forward with him. We are actually called to go about the business that he is about. We read this in this uh, sentence and in this phrase when he says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on earth and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. Now, because we in general are kind of obsessed with power, dominion, and reign, and all that sort of stuff. When we hear that word reign, we often hear it, or we mishear it, actually. We hear it wrongly. That it's not meant about top-down power. What this idea that God is inviting us into is really this. That we are called to steward the good world that he created. That's what that phrase means. That we are called to steward the good world that he created. The word in Hebrew is rada. And uh, Lisa Sharon Harper, in her excellent book, The Very, Very Good Gospel, she talks about this word this way. And she does an excellent job explaining it. The authors of Genesis 1 could have used as many as eight other words if they had wanted to communicate that dominion means to rule creation in the same way a king rules an empire. But instead, they chose Radha, which can also mean to rule. But even then, it conveys the sense that one rules as a result of winning a struggle. Radha is not a call to exercise imperial power. Instead, she puts it this way. The writer's use of Radha conjures images of new creation in need of stewardship. That what we are called to do is to co-create with God and to work with him in this beautiful world that he has created. So if, if you were to start in Genesis 1, what we would learn about the world and ourselves is really just three things. That we actually are called to be good, being God's good image bearers in his good world, and that we have a purpose together. That's really what this whole Genesis 1 is really outlining. That there is goodness in creation, there is goodness in humanity, and that we all have a purpose together. Really to reflect and to resemble and to be God's representatives. Now notice with me, and how the Bible starts to speak about the story of salvation, the story of God's movement in our world. Notice with me how different it is than that common kind of sharing of the gospel. Right? That where God begins is, the world is good, you are good, and you have a good purpose together. Most of our gospel presentations begin the exact opposite way. They begin with like, you suck, you're a sinner, and you're going to someplace bad, right? I just want to notice the dichotomy with that. That what ends up happening in our common kind of understandings of the gospel is we often start the gospel story in Genesis 3, skipping Genesis 1 and 2. I just think it's a problem whenever we skip the actual narrative and um, movement of Scripture. Now, if you know the Bible, what you will absolutely know is that in Genesis 3, sin does happen. What ends up going on is Adam and Eve disobey God, and then sin enters into the world. It starts to corrupt things. It starts to distort things. It starts to spread. That's actually the story of really Genesis 3 to 11. We see the spread and the corruption of sin. And what sin does, what sin does is not only to distort our relationship with God and to create separation there, what sin also, though, does is it actually distorts our ability to truly reflect and resemble and be God's representatives. And this is really important. We need to keep this in our heads as we start to understand what the gospel is really about in a more full and deep and robust way. That when sin enters the world, what this means is that not only do we need forgiveness from God, we also need restoration to be his full image bearers, to better actually reflect and resemble and to represent who he is. That what we need, according to Genesis, once sin starts to distort the world, is really two things. Is we need someone to deal with sin, but we also need someone to show us how to live without the distortion of sin, to really be God's full image bearers. Matthew Bates puts it this way. 
He says sin is not merely a guilt or debt problem that needs to be overcome to rescue us from the separation of God or from death. Sin also prevents humans from fulfilling God's aims. Sin disrupts image bearing. So humans and all creation have a deficit of God's glory. He says this. He says a human king is required to restore this glory. We need a flawless human king who can restore God's glory in humanity's brokenness. Then creation can be ruled by humans properly again. And God can receive the glory that is due. Now what I really want to impress upon you here today is that not only do we need a divine king to deal with sin, and we're going to really explore that next week, what we also really need is a human king to be our representatives, to show us how to live, to help us to fulfill that original mandate in Genesis, to be God's representatives, to be his full image bearers without the distortion and the disruption and the separation of sin. That what we need, really, what we need is a divine king to deal with our sin and a human king to show us the way forward. And we need to keep both of these two things in our head at once, that we need this fullness to really happen for us. This is why, then, if you notice, Scripture speaks about Jesus because he's both divine and human in both of these two terms. They often talk about Jesus as the divine king who deals with sin in verses such as this. We read this in Ephesians 1. And all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. It says this, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered us with kindness on us along with wisdom and understanding. This verse talks about how Jesus pre-existed with God and that he is the divine king who saves us from sin. Or Paul puts it this way in Romans 1. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. But Jesus is also not only our divine king, but also our human king who sets the example we are called to follow as true image bearers of God. We read this, for example, in Philippians, where Paul says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We must follow in his example. This is what he's going to say, that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Or in 1 Peter, it is incredibly clear how Jesus is our divine and human king we are called to follow. Peter says this, he says, Jesus is your example, so you must follow in his steps. Right? Jesus is your example, so you must follow in his steps. Or Jesus himself says this, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. But the big idea I want to help us to try to understand here today, that I really want to impress upon you, is simply this, that Jesus is both our divine and human king, whom we are called not just to believe in, but to follow. Okay? That Jesus is both our divine and human king, who are called not just to believe in, but actually to follow. That yes, Jesus died for our sins, but he's also doing something bigger than that right now. He is reigning, he is ruling, he is Lord. That we are called to not only believe in him, but to actually follow him with our lives. But what does this all kind of mean for us? So to help us move this today from kind of like a theology 101 class, where we learn that there are some problems with the common version of the gospel, and that the story of Genesis really teaches us that we need a representative and that we're called to be representatives of God as well. How does this kind of all make sense for us? Well, what I want to do today is do a little bit of a demonstration. I want to share with you that common version of the gospel that we are very familiar with. The one that says that we're sinners, Jesus died for our sins, and we get to go to heaven. The one that really centers us and sin. And then I also want to share with you, I want to share with you a different version of the gospel, one that I believe is much more scripturally based, that really emphasizes Christ as our divine human king. 
And so to share with you these two stories, I'm actually going to use two chairs and to use them to kind of demonstrate our posture and God's posture. And I think it'll help us, hopefully, to really see the difference between those two stories. And while one is really shallow and incomplete and the other, the other is one that actually invites us to follow Jesus Christ. So this is called the Gospel in Chairs, and I want to share it with you, beginning with kind of using that very common version of the Gospel that many of us may have heard. So I want to share with you the common version, really using these chairs as a way to demonstrate how the common version of the Gospel is shared. Okay? And it would go like this, that in the beginning there was God, and that God was with us, and that God created all that we see, and that he created humanity. So there was God and there was humanity and in between us there was intimacy, there was fellowship, there was closeness. But then the unthinkable thing happened, that Adam and Eve sinned, that they turned away from God. And in so doing, they let sin into the world and sin disrupted every aspect of the world. And because God is holy and because God is righteous and because God is perfect, he cannot stand the sight of sin, so he turned his view away as well. And that now there is separation between God and all of humanity because of sin. And even though that God would give us the Ten Commandments and other rules to follow, what quickly became known is that no one is holy, no one is righteous, not even one. But thanks be to God, God did not leave us this way. What God did was he sent his very son as a human being to live like us. And this son was uh, sinless. And there was perfect communion again between God the Father and God the Son. And then a terrible, unthinkable thing happened that God put all of the sin of the world upon Jesus Christ. And because Jesus was then sinful, God turned away and Jesus went into death and into sin and he was killed on our behalf as a payment for sin. But thanks be to God, Thanks be to God, God raised Jesus from the dead. So much so that now whoever would believe in Jesus, they can actually also have a restored relationship with God. That their sins can be washed away, that their sins can be paid for, and that because of Jesus' sacrifice, they can go to heaven. This is kind of the common shape of the gospel that many of us might be familiar with, that many of us actually might have come to faith under. And while I think this gospel gets many things right, this portrayal of the gospel also leaves some things out and it distorts some things. So I want to share with you a different way of talking about the gospel, but one that really highlights Christ as the center, as our divine and human king, and takes very seriously what Genesis teaches us about God creating the world to be good and inviting us to be his representatives in that world. So I'm going to share it with you like this. In the beginning, in the beginning, there was God and there was humanity and they lived in perfect connection and in fellowship and in intimacy and harmony. But not only that, they were actually called to move forward into the world together, that they were called to be partners, they were called to be co-representatives, that they were called really to co-create together. But then, but then this intimacy that was there, it was fractured by Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned and they turned away from God, choosing to be their own kings and queens, not to follow the Lord. But then what God did was the most amazing thing. He continued to pursue Adam and Eve, inviting them back into fellowship, back into right relationship, back into being his representatives, but they continued to turn away, as did every other person. God continued to pursue all the people we know of in the Bible, Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, but each sinned and each turned away from God. There continued to be the separation of sin and the distortion of sin. Even though God continued to pursue relationship, sin continued to wreak havoc and to distort and to separate all that was there. 
So then God did the most amazing thing to actually reach humanity that was separated and distorted from him. What God did was he sent his very own son in our likeness as a human being to reach out to us. And Jesus continued to pursue us, to pursue relationship with us, to not only reveal who God is, but also how we are called to live. But the unthinkable, most evil thing happened. We continued in our sin, in our violence, in our greed, and in our hate. And what we did was we killed the very Son of God, crucifying Him on a cross. And He went into death, and He went into sin, and all evil to conquer it. But thanks be to God that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, now so that whomever might believe in him and pledge allegiance to him and follow with him can actually have a restored relationship with him. But what Jesus saves us from is not just the penalty of sin, but he also invites us to follow him as we were originally called to, to move out into the world, co-creating, making the world good, making the world flourish around us as we follow him as our divine and human king. And this I would like to suggest to you is a much more full way of understanding the gospel. That yes, Jesus dies for our sins, but what he also does is not only die for our sins, invites us to follow him with our lives because he is both the divine king who pays for our sins, as we'll see next week, we're going to explore that really deeply, but also our human king who is the example we are called to follow. That what I want to suggest to you today is that Jesus is our divine and human king who we are called not just to believe in, but to actually follow with our lives. That's my main point today. That Jesus is the divine human king who we are called not only to believe in, but actually to follow, to live like, to actually submit to and how we live and how we move and how we love the world around us. This is the calling and this is what we are asked to do. So then practically though, what does this mean for us? Because as we've seen today that Jesus is really the divine king who does deal with our sin, but also the human king who reveals the way that we are called to live. So what does it mean to really follow King Jesus? What does it mean to not only believe in him, but to pledge allegiance to him with how we live our lives? Well, explain that today. I want to share with you three things that you can do to ensure that you actually live life in the way of Jesus, that you are following him as this divine and human king. Last week, I said I'd try to make it really practical to share with you what following Jesus looks like. And so today, I want to do that by inviting you to actually follow Jesus with up, with, and out. And these three things, up, with, and out, as I explained, they'll actually connect us and root us and ground us back in the original three things of Genesis, that the world is good, that humanity is actually God's image bearers, and that we are called to be about the God's work in the world. So I want to share with you with what I mean by up, with, and out. And the first is this, that if you want to follow Jesus as king, that this is what you do need to do on a daily basis. You need to actually be daily connecting up with Jesus. You need to be daily connecting up with Jesus. And what I mean by that is things like scripture, is things like prayer, like worship, like meditation, like receiving from him, like listening to him, like focusing in on him. That if you want to follow Jesus as our divine and human king, we actually need to spend time with him. This is absolutely crucial and absolutely necessary. That one of the things that sin distorted was really the goodness in all of us and the goodness in the world. That sin really tainted and disrupted all of that. That gets restored in us when we actually focus not on ourselves but on Jesus Christ. That as we focus on him as the perfect sinless son of God, that's when we actually learn what it, lives, what it looks like to live with goodness, to live with love, to live life in God's way. Actually, the Bible puts it this way, or Paul does, saying this in 2 Corinthians. He says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. 
Or as Eugene Peterson puts it this, he says, so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. That if we want to become more like who God invites us into, to truly be those image bearers that God has uh, invited us into, what we need to do is to focus in on Jesus, to spend time with Jesus, that there is no way to follow Jesus without spending time with him. And this is both a spiritual reality, but also something you know from your life. That just really, whomever you spend time with, you end up resembling. This is just true. Whomever you spend time with, you end up resembling. This is why, parents, you might freak out over the friends your kids choose, because you know that they'll end up resembling them. This is why if you want to follow God, you actually need to spend time with him, which means daily connecting up with Jesus. Secondly, what does it look like to follow King Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus as our divine and human king? Well, what it means, practically, is for us also to invest in community, or as we put it here, to journey deeply with others. You'll notice in Genesis, when God says, let us make human beings in our image, that that word there, us, is plural, because God exists as Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. God exists in community. So to be his proper image bearers means we also need to exist in community. We can't follow Jesus on our own. That Christianity is not an individualized sport. It's actually a faithful following together. So if you want to follow Jesus well, if you want to make him your king, what that means is, is we need to push against the individualism of our world and to journey deeply with others. To journey deeply with others, with discipleship, with grace, and with vulnerability. And for us here, the way we do that is with home churches. And this is an amazing week for you to sign up to actually be a part of this, to invest in community. Is it always easy when you're gathering together with people and seeking to journey with people? No, of course not. You've met people, so have I, right? I'm difficult at times, so likely are you, right? No, it's not always easy, but it is necessary because it's one of the things that God wants to restore in our lives. Because when sin entered the world in Genesis 3, it not only distorted Adam and Eve's relationship with God, it also distorted their relationship with one another. That what sin has wrecked is our relationships together. So to live fully into God's kingdom means seeking the restoration of community here together. Or to put it differently, that we need to journey deeply with one another. And then lastly, Lastly, the third thing that I believe that we are called to do is that we need to serve and sacrifice out in the world. That we need to serve and sacrifice out in the community. That if we are going to follow Jesus as our divine and human king, one of the main things that Jesus does is to actually shift our focus from inward to outward, right? That what did we learn in Genesis? That we have a purpose together. God's inviting us to actually be about his business and his work in the world. That we are not to be self-centered looking inward, but actually outward facing, focused on how we can make the world a better place. This is what we are called to do. We are called to serve and sacrifice out in the world. Paul puts it really clearly as well when he says this. He says, we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up divine privileges and he took on the humble position of a slave and he was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Here we see really Christ's attitude as our example, serving, right? Sacrificing, giving up his privileges for others, that this is what we are called to do as well. And you can do this in so many different ways, right? But what matters is that we make it a habit and what matters is that others know that we care for them because of how we give, serve, and sacrifice. And practically, if you're looking for a place to serve, 
There are many places you can serve here at Bethany and actually have an impact on people that changes lives. And so I want to invite you, if you want to be a part of serving here, you can simply go to bethanycc.ca slash volunteer to actually be a part of making this world a better place. So what's my main point today? My main point is really simple, that Jesus is our divine and human king who not only deserves our belief, but our following and our allegiance. That's what I want to invite you to really consider here today. And that the common gospel that we are very familiar with is in so many ways, it's shallow and incomplete because it centers really us and sin rather than Christ and his resurrection and his reign and his rule and the fact that he not only pays for sin as we'll show next week, but he also sets the example for our lives. And then how do we follow him with our lives? I want to invite you really this week, here's my challenge, to follow Jesus up with and out, to daily be connecting up with him, to be journeying deeply with others, and to be serving and sacrificing out in the community. But to make this a little bit more pointed, what I want you to really invite you to do is to think through of those three things, up with and out, which one, which one is Jesus asking, is Jesus inviting, or is Jesus even just telling you to really focus in on in this season of your life? that what I found in my own personal life is those three spheres of up, with, and out. There's always one that Jesus is inviting me to focus in on. Sometimes it's that my time with him and my focus on him has kind of slidden, and he's inviting me to really focus back in on that. Sometimes it's about me needing to invest deeper in community and being more vulnerable with others. Sometimes it's really about me serving and sacrificing more in our community or whatever it may be. I want to invite you, of those three spheres, which one is Jesus inviting you to focus in on? And then to do that this week, to really make that your focus, because we follow Jesus with our daily lives, and that matters immensely, because he is the king who has died and rose again and invites us to live life as he calls us to. So with that for today, I want to invite you really to follow Jesus with your lives. Next week, we're going to be diving deep into Leviticus and how Jesus died for our sins and what that all means. But for today, my challenge is just this. Would you follow Jesus up with and out? Because he is our divine and human king who deserves our following. So with that, would you join with me in prayer? Dear God, thank you so much for the fact that you have come to earth to show us how to live. I pray, God, would you help us to live and to love and to look more like you in every single aspect of our lives? Would we have the courage to follow you, the strength to follow you? God, if there are things we need to leave behind, might we do that? But most of all, Lord, most of all, might we continue to follow, follow you and to live life in your way? And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.